0: We're starting our new summer series. This will take us all the way through the summer to the very last Sunday of August. It's simply called 10. Now, if you're local, when you see 10 like that, probably the first thing that comes to your mind is the Big 10, which has 12 teams in it, Um, which… Which really, probably, we're a little bit more accustomed to the the number 12 anyway. If you didn't grow up exclusively with the metric system, then we're used to 12. There's 12 inches in a foot. There's 12 months in a year. Jesus had 12 disciples. But don't overlook the uniqueness of 10. There are ten numerals in your phone number, ten fingers and toes on your body, ten dimes in a dollar, ten yards to a first down, ten hot dogs in a package, and of course there are ten lords a-leaping. But ten also happens to be a significant biblical number. Whenever you're reading in Scripture and you come across ten, it represents a number of completeness, and there is no other standard so complete as the Ten Commandments. And that's what we're going to study this summer. Now, this being Father's Day, I'm reminded that the dad's, a dad's role is vital, but not always easy. I believe that a father should first and foremost be a man of God. When you strive to follow God's pattern in your life, then it will make you a better man in general, and it will make you a better husband for your wife and a better dad for your kids. It won't make you perfect, but it'll make you better. A father should set the standard for his family in word and deed and action. Don't ask your children, dad, to do something that you don't want to do or to be something you have no intention of being And a father should love his family unconditionally and demonstrate that love in ways that are obvious so that there's no mistaking in your family that you love them. A father should provide for and protect those under his care. I believe God wired us that way, gentlemen, that we have this intense desire to protect those who are in our care. Having two daughters... Raising two daughters, one of my greatest concerns was that I protect them from all the harsh things when they were growing up. Now, I have loved every stage and every age of our daughters' lives and still do. As a matter of fact, I'm just thrilled and enjoying this one they're in now. But I I will tell you this, I did enter the dating age with a little bit of fear and trepidation. And I learned this bit of wisdom way too late. Uh, the girls were already married to two fine young sons-in-law, and, and I'd actually become a grandpa before I learned this. But I'm, I'm going to pass along this bit of wisdom to all of you fathers out there who have younger daughters and who may be just about to enter that time when a young man's going to ask your daughter for a date, and you're getting ready for him to come to the door to pick up your daughter for that date. Now, here, here, here's, the, here's the wisdom. Just slip a shotgun shell into your pocket as you're preparing for the evening. And when he comes to the door, just reach in and toss him the shell. And as he catches it, say this, You do anything to hurt my daughter, and the next shell is coming a lot faster. (laughs) Isn't that good, dads? Now, you can use that, all right? Your daughter may not have many dates, but you can use that if you want. All right? We fathers have this this goal serving spiritually, living consistently, loving unconditionally, and protecting passionately are the best gifts that you can give to your family. And that's exactly why God gave us the Ten Commandments. They they are a gift. Now we seldom think of these ten words as gifts. We more often view them as obstacles to try and find our way around or roadblocks that would deter our joy in life, but God gave them to us as a reflection of His fatherhood. These words are consistent with His very nature. They set a lasting standard for our words, our deeds, and our actions. And they are an expression of God's unconditional love for us. And believe it or not, Believe it or not, He gave us these Ten Commandments for our protection. Sometimes as parents, we have to make decisions for our children with their best interests in mind that are not popular decisions with our children. In like manner, God did something for us that was in our best interest, but we, His children, seldom find them to be popular. And with every passing year, our culture, our own society, finds these ten words, these ten commandments, less and less popular and endearing. But you see, these words that Moses carried down off of the mountain have been around, have been a guiding light for nearly 3,500 years. They transcend region, culture, and generation Simply put, they work for everybody. Given to us by the one who designed us, they are tailor-made for quality living in this world. Let's say, yeah, well, how how did they come about? Why 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 do we have these things? How, how did they get started? Okay, let me let me tell you the story of Exodus chapter 19 leading into chapter 20. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that you are. Now, making your way to the base of the mountain of God. You are a part of this throng of thousands upon thousands of people making your way to the base of the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. You have spent the last three days preparing for this moment. You have abstained from any kind of intimate touch. You have washed your clothes, and you are wearing your finest. You have washed your body. You are as clean as you can make yourself, and you know that you are not allowed to touch the mountain. You can only stand at its base. And so there you stand, realizing that just three months ago, 90 days ago, you were still a slave in Egypt where your family had for generations been working for the Egyptians. And now you're on your way in this freedom to this land that God promised your forefather Abraham. For 430 years, your family has been subjected to every pagan influence imaginable. Four centuries in Africa has made you more Egyptian than Hebrew. You have been exposed to every aspect of Egyptian worship, from the worship of Ra, the sun god, to the worship of Osiris, the god of the fearful dark underworld. You lived through the terror of the ten plagues and saw God bring his judgment upon Egypt. You walked on dry ground through the the base of the Red Sea with towering massive walls of water on either side. Who is this God? that was able to defeat the gods of Egypt that undermined the reign of Pharaoh and who drowned the Egyptian army in the Red Sea? Who is this God that leaves this band of former slaves through the desert with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night? Who is this God that I am called to worship and love? Suddenly, the mountain rumbles You hear lightning, or you see lightning, and you hear thunder, the likes of which you have never experienced before. And a a, a dark, thick cloud comes down and settles on top of the mountain, and the mountain quakes and rumbles, and you look with fear in your eyes, because you've never experienced anything like this. And then a trumpet blast, a shrill blast that splits the air, sounds from the mountain, so that you close your ears until the trumpet blast is over. And then And then the voice of God speaks. And you hear from the voice of God these Ten Commandments. After 430 years of silence, God has a lot to say, but he begins with the basics. So why should we study such ancient words in the 21st century? Well, I'll tell you. We ought to study the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments form the foundation of grace. Now, by its very definition, grace is at the opposite of of law-keeping. Grace is a gift that makes glad. Law-keeping is something that is arduous. But I want you to remember a couple things. The Lord has always been a God of grace— I grew up with kind of the mistaken concept that grace was at best elusive in the Old Testament. Uh, Like many others, I viewed the Lord as angry in the Old Testament, but patient in the New, vengeful and mean in the Old, but loving and kind in the New. And that was a very spiritually immature perspective on, on many of our parts. God did not go through some kind of an attitudinal transformation between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. God hasn't mellowed with the passing of the ages, folks. If God is a God of grace now, then God has always been a God of grace. It is a part of his nature. As Kevin mentioned a few minutes ago, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he has always been a God of grace. The commandments, while we view them as law, begin and form the foundation of God's grace. Did you hear or did you read in chapter 20, verse 2, how the very commandments begin? God says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now that was a gift. When the Israelites got on the other side of the Red Sea and the walls of water collapsed and drowned the Egyptian army, there was singing and celebrating and there was laughter and joy, and they sang of God's goodness and they sang of God's grace because grace is a gift that makes glad. Now, I want you to know God was under no obligation to rescue his people out of Egypt. They didn't do anything to deserve being rescued. God could have started with any other nation that he chose, but he'd made a promise to Abraham, and this was an expression of his grace to rescue the people and give them freedom and take them to the promised land. Not only was that an expression of grace, but when you study it all the way through, through the 40 years of wandering, it was an expression of grace. Every day, folks, every day without fail for 40 years, God gave them manna on the ground. We don't know exactly what it was, but this little wafer that they picked up that gave them enough food for the day, you could bake it, you could boil it, you could eat it in various ways. It kept their stomachs full. He gave them water to drink. Their shoes never wore out. Their garments lasted all the way through. We have all of these things that are an expression of God's grace. And I contend this morning that you can't understand grace unless you first understand the Ten Commandments. And there were times when the nation of Israel grumbled. They grumbled over and over and over again. We don't have enough to eat. We don't have what we like to eat. We wish we could go back to Egypt because they had leeks and onions back there. Now, I'm telling you, about three days of that, and if if I had been God, I would have said, that's it, people. I've had it with you. I'm going to look for another group that won't be so gripey and complaining. You're out of here. Go back to Egypt to leeks and onions if you want to. Forty years The grace of God contended with the grumbling, complaining attitude of the Israelites. And we're not much better. And God puts up with us, with all of our grumbling and our complaining as well. Here's the deal. Were it not for the Ten Commandments and the law of God, I could not know that I had offended God with my sin and that I was lost to Him Consequently, I could not know that I needed someone to rescue me, and consequently, I could not know how desperately I need Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. You see, unless I know what the law is and the fact that I have broken the law, I can't know that I need somebody to rescue me from my brokenness. If I don't know I'm sick, I don't know I need a doctor. And what the Ten Commandments and the law does for me is it tells me of the standard of God and how far I have fallen short of that and that I need somebody to rescue me without the Ten Commandments. I cannot fully understand God's grace. Here's something else I want you to know, and that is that grace does not mean we're exempt from the principles of the Ten Commandments. We are saved by grace, not by law-keeping. And we do not try to keep the Old Testament law in order to appease an angry God. We keep it to... Express our love to a gracious God who has forgiven us. You know, when Jesus was here, he said, do not think that I have come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And the word fulfill literally means to give full meaning to. Jesus said, there's nothing wrong with the law. I've come to give it its fullest meaning. And Jesus demonstrated that in his own life and behavior. The Bible also says, Jesus said this, he said, if you love me... Keep my commandments. So when we look at the, at the Ten Commandments, we can see there as a scorecard of how we love God. Now, we don't often think about that. We're going to think about that this morning. I want you to take up just a moment. Uh, a lot of you dads will probably get Father's Day cards uh, today or tomorrow or sometime this weekend. Uh, it'd be nice if we could give this to our Heavenly Father as a Father's Day card, but I'm afraid that the card wouldn't look too good when we're done with. So let's go through it. You just make some mental checks in your mind. All right, we're just going to take the Ten Commandments right now and go through, and we're just going to mentally say, How are we doing in our expression of love? Because if Jesus is right, and I believe he is, if you love me, keep my commandments, then how are you doing? Here we go. Have you always put God first and made him your top priority at every moment? Okay, good. Do you have any idols? Now remember, idols don't always look like little gold statues. An idol is anything that dims our view of God or tries to take over top priority. Do, do, do you, have you ever idolized anything or anyone? Have you ever misused God's name or, or failed to give God the credit that is due His name? Have you ever dishonored the spirit of the Sabbath day? Have you ever done or said anything that's disrespectful to your parents? How about murder? Murder? We finally got into one that I have not violated at this point. <laughs> Never mind that Jesus said, don't be angry with your brother. Never mind that the New Testament says we don't dare murder somebody's reputation with our gospel. We're just going to stick with the literal, do not murder here, all right? Where do you stand when it comes to adultery? And before you answer, don't forget that Jesus said that if you lust after someone, you have committed adultery in your mind. We're going to to count that. We're going to stick with the literal one here. Have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever taken a pencil from work and didn't bring it back? Have you ever eaten a piece of candy at a friend's home when they weren't looking at the dish? Did you ever nibble on a grape in the produce aisle of the grocery store that you didn't pay for? Have you ever intentionally said something false or you didn't tell the whole story or the whole truth because There was an intent to deceive, maybe just a little tiny white lie. Have you ever been resentful of what a friend has that you don't have and wish that you could find a way to get it from them? How's your scorecard? Now, here's the deal. You don't need to tell me your score, and I won't tell you my score. (laughs) But suffice to say, I've got a lot of work to do, and I suspect you do too. And if Jesus is right, and I believe he is, when he says, if you love me, keep my commandments, I've got a long way to go to say I love you. You see, when I do the score, that's when I realize how grateful I am for his grace. Here's something else. Why should we study the Ten Commandments? Because man-made laws are often inadequate. Dictators create laws to preserve and protect power. Despots rule with iron fists. They they don't create laws that are good for people. You know, I think our Constitution has few, if any, equals. But even our U.S. Constitution is not flawless. It's not perfect. Look how many years it took us to address the issue of slavery here in the United States with our wonderful Constitution as it is. Sometimes human dictates may seem good at the moment. We are seldom, though, wise enough to see beyond the moment to the years to come. Here, let me give you a couple examples. These are still supposedly on the books here in Indiana, and I suppose they're so frivolous there's no need to go through all the hassle of getting them off. But, but here's a couple. <laughs> These just, hotel sheets must be exactly 99 inches long and 81 inches wide. Why is there a law dictating hotel sheets in the state of Indiana? Gets me. Here's another one. Baths may not be taken between the months of October and March. If there was ever a case for civil disobedience, that, that, that's one, all right? Now, I can only assume these laws dealt with specific issues or concerns at the time. They certainly seem frivolous today, but then the very nature of human wisdom seldom looks beyond the moment. Our grand thoughts are fickle and irrelevant. Don't you wonder what laws we think are indispensable today will be laughed at a hundred years from now but i'm here to tell you there is nothing fickle or irrelevant about the ten commandments 3500 years old and they are as fresh as if we had received them for the first time they don't just address the needs of the moment but they look to the future for every generation to come they are splendid In their endurance. Former ABC anchor Ted Koppel wrote, he said, What Moses brought down from Mount Sinai were not the ten suggestions, they are commandments are, not were. The sheer brilliance of the ten commandments is that they codify in a handful of words acceptable human behavior, not for just then or now, but for all time, end quote. John Quincy Adams, our sixth president, wrote, he said, Vain indeed would be the search among the writings of secular history to find so broad, so complete, and so solid a basis of morality as the Ten Commandments lay down. Why should we study the Ten Commandments? Because the Ten Commandments answer two important questions. The most important command, question. Jesus was asked, what's the... Most important command, and he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Forty years after this moment, when Moses had the people of Israel at the banks of the Jordan, he's getting ready to go up onto the top of Mount Pisgah where he would die. And go home to the real promised land. He reviews all of this history. And he goes through the Ten Commandments again. And then this time he weaves in this theme in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And this is what he says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And in Leviticus these words are also added. And your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. And so... It answers the two most important questions, how do I love God and how do I love my neighbor, all of which are spelled out in the Ten Commandments. The first four teach our duties to God, the last six teach our duties to one another. Or to put it another way, one through four teach love for God, five through ten teach love for others. One through four teach reverence for God. Five through ten teach respect for others. One through four are vertical in our relationship. Five through ten are horizontal in our relationship. One through four are doctrinal. Five through ten are ethical. Why should we study the Ten Commandments? Because they teach us how to love God and others. To love as God has loved us. Why should we study the Ten Commandments? because we don't know them as well as we should. And I don't mean memorize, I mean put them into practice. A Kelton research study found that 80% of Americans know that two all-beef patties are among the ingredients of a Big Mac, while just 60% could identify thou shalt not kill as one of the Ten Commandments. Only when we live them consistently, when they become second nature, when they change our lives and behavior, will we have studied them enough. Now, all that said, remember this. The Ten Commandments are still a choice. God does not force them upon any of us. We can choose to live them or disregard them. But just keep in mind, they are our freedom. They release us from the bondage and the slavery of sin. In so keeping them, our lives are enhanced. Shortly after this time when the children of Israel gathered around the base of the mountain, Moses went up on the mountain and he spent 40 days there and God gave him the whole law. And when he came down off of the mountaintop, he was carrying two great big tablets of stone. I don't know how large they were, but they had to be heavy. Tablets of stone like that would be heavy. And on them were carved, carved by the finger of God, carved the Ten Commandments. And you say, how come God didn't put them on parchment, or better yet, papyrus? That would have been even lighter. That would have been a lot easier for Moses to carry down the mountain. Here's the reason. Because when something is carved in stone, it is considered to last forever. So Moses brought down tablets of stone so that we would know these words are lasting forever. That's why they're carved in stone. I can't think of a better way to end this sermon than by all of us standing together and reciting them in unison from the screen. So stand with me, will you please? And we'll read them together. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything. Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Number four, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Number five, honor your father and your mother. Number six, you shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Number ten, you shall not covet. Do you know the one who kept them perfectly? as your Savior. And because He kept them perfectly, His grace can be yours. So while we sing, you come.